Welcome to Your Money Story. I'm Dawn Thomas, a mother of three, financial advisor by day, and a PhD candidate studying the experience of Generation Z with the superannuation system. This podcast provides a platform for stories that are underrepresented. Everyone's money story is unique. My guests are people who conduct their lives with purpose, authenticity, and are not afraid of being different. They stand out within their industries for being themselves. I hope their journeys inspire you to harness your own gifts and talents. I'm a believer of living your truth each day. Let's change how the story ends. We acknowledge the Wajuk people of the Noongar Nation as the traditional custodians of this country and its waters and where this podcast is recorded on, stands on Noongar country. We pay our respects to Noongar elders, past and present, and acknowledge their wisdom and advice. The information discussed in this podcast does not take into account your personal and financial objectives and situation. Before acting on any information discussed here, you should consider its appropriateness, having regard to your objectives, needs, and financial situation. For part two of this special International Women's Day episode, we have Tim Henry. Tim is the podcast host of The Grass is Greener and the owner of Aspire Financial Planning. Tim is an advocate for improving the outcomes of women's safety and economic security. He shares with us his advocacy journey in the last 12 months and where he sees how financial advisors can think differently about female clients' outcomes. Today on the episode, we have the wonderful Tim Henry, and I've I've been so excited about this episode because I think it's been one year in the making because I spoke to Tim last year. Firstly, welcome, Tim. How are you, Dawn? I'm really happy to be here too. um, Your journey in the last 12 months is so fascinating, but it's not surprising right because I I've, I've outed you last year as an advocate <laughs> on my podcast and you, you predicted like, you know, this yeah I predicted this <laughs> and then what you've done with your advocacy uh, for women's financial outcomes um, is I think something that needs to be shared uh, and, and that's what today's episode is about it's really your journey you know why you care because I think sometimes women feel that we've been asked to solve things because it's a women's issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I think there's something that you said that was quite important before uh, we started recording was that you feel that that you are a bit careful about how you respond to the topic that we're having here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you just explain why, why a little bit of hesitation of, of just being really careful with how you respond? <laughs> well, I think... Um... I think all all many males would feel that way. Mm. It's not that um, it's not that you're worried, but you you're you're worried about overstepping mm. somewhere. I think and and saying something that might be perceived either in the wrong way or okay or maybe you yeah maybe you say the wrong thing. Um, oh. So I think it's more just that. I, I think you can come from a, but you just got to trust that if you're coming from a good mm. uh, basis of <laughs> the reasons why you might be saying something, um, you know, I think when we talk about financial advice or something as a whole, you know, we, we probably feel quite comfortable that we've had a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're then going to start speaking about how specific groups perceive certain things and and you're not a member of that group, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that can sort of be perceived as, well, you, know, you wouldn't know. So, so I think that's what, why I, I sort of say that. 
Yeah, and, and that's fair enough. And um, but I think that's one of the things that makes you such a good ambassador for this topic in terms of someone who's not the affected group, but being outside of it, feeling like we all should care. That's why I want you on this episode. And that's why I want you part of an International Women's Day episode. Um, and not yeah. probably not a lot of men are asked to do International Women's Day episodes. Um, but I feel that it's important to let that other perspective in because if we continue having women talking about it, and women are talking about it a lot, something that we have to fix and we can't fix it yeah. on our own. Well, I'll even sort of make the comment, um, you know, if I see a, a great post that someone might do, and you, you might do, in fact, I think you you shared um, the speech of, of Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins last mm-hmm. week, um, I'm always interested to notice um, how many m- males and females like or comment yeah and and quite often on on female issues women's issues you'll just only see females commenting and yeah. I, I find that interesting and, and i think it's what we're t- touching on here which is the males are a bit scared to step in there mm. as to say the wrong thing perceived to be the wrong thing or perceived to be um <laughs> you wouldn't know so yeah right i actually do sit back with certain posts because i think or oh, i've seen a lot of um, I don't know whether it's negative is the right word, but sometimes there'll be um, some guys who go into a topic and, and they can be quite um, stinging with what they're saying in yeah. response to it, right? And I don't want to have to defend what I posted. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, um, I'm also careful about how I share things, but I'm also ready, or I'm ready to block people just in case I have to because... Um, <laughs> Because I've seen it happen on other posts. Yeah. I give credit to those people that just let those comments go and maybe um, respond to it. But I think my point of view is I've gone, I don't have time for the haters. Yeah. I'd rather speak to people like you who are um, who are willing to open yourself up to the journey. And, and you say in the last 12 months, you've had so many discussions about the issues related to gender, financial equality so you've spoken to Elisa Fear, Samantha Sutherland, uh, Bianca uh, Hartke Hazelman from uh, Women's Finance Index. Yeah. Um can you share with us what that journey has been or what those conversations have led you to do? Yeah, well, I mean it's driven from from a few um for a few reasons is uh, we've built our business primarily um to we, we think that the way we're delivering advice, financial advice, uh, we, we're trying to design it in a way that makes sense mm. to women. Yeah. And we and I really feel strongly that uh, I think I had it, heard it described once as um, for a male to have a conversation about a t- topic, if you imagine the male's brain as a house, okay. they have to go just only into that one room they have to close that door and only talk that topic in that room if you want to talk about another topic we're going to open the door go all the way out to another room <laughs> and close the door where a woman's brain was described as it can jump around from room to room very quickly and yeah. i i sort of feel that um with for financial advice, uh, women uh, predominantly, and, and I think a lot of males are liking the way we're doing it too. But they're worried about a certain uh, a number of aspects of their life and their family's life, 
And it's like those, all of those little niggling problems need to be solved or have a direction. And once they all do have a direction, then we can mm-hmm. push them in a, in a greater direction. And so we've been trying to design that and, and that's what's led me on this journey to try and understand what are the problems out there, particularly mm-hmm. for women and, and, and for couples. Um, and, and so through the podcast, uh, doing the podcast in the last 18 months has really um, allowed me to speak to people on, in a formal manner that we, we may not have spoken to before. So as you say, we've spoken to uh, Lisa Fear mm. uh, that was predominantly about financial abuse. That was a very educational episode for me and, again, probably one that – yeah, I had fear in doing that interview because um, you're not knowledgeable on the topic. You're trying to become knowledgeable and it's talking to someone that has a lot of knowledge. Um, Samantha Sutherland was a really interesting one too because she'd done a report throughout the first year of the pandemic about the impacts on on women particularly and how that was affecting their employment and, and their home situation. And, and she'd done a lot of um, work in a, in a survey on how um, a lot of the unpaid work was being pushed back on on women mm. as a result of that because, you know, their partner was working from home or they're still expected to do all their house chores but also work yes. from home. Um, again, when touching on what we were saying before, I found that interesting because... That was probably the first episode that I put out, which I thought was a really excellent episode. Um, got a lot of comments from women. Mm. <laughs> and yeah. on one of the platforms we put it on, which is Spotify, um, you can actually, because it obviously knows something about the people that listen, it doesn't tell you anyone about names, but it gives you demographics. A lot of female listeners, not many male listeners. And, and I thought that's really interesting that seems like the problem's residing mainly with the men, but it's the yeah. women listening. So, you know, there's a challenge. And then throughout the latter part of last year, um, we've been working with Bianca um, Hachi Hazelman mm. from Financi. Uh, she produces the Women's Index. and. Yeah. And working with her, collaborating with her, um, we're supporting the index as well. Um, learning about more and more about the issues is mm-hmm. is really um, fantastic because you're understanding that she's got factual data to back it up too. So it's not just that emotive type discussion. Yes, uh, yes. So, just, yeah. yeah, just all, all really... And then even with you, Dawn, we have a lot of chats, um, sometimes just uh, virtually, mm-hmm. about various topics. And I think it's just about being open to the fact of, of um, how is this affecting people that you know and what are the real problems out there. You come to it in a very matter-of-fact way, Tim, like you're like, this is sort of how it is. But I think you've, you've nailed it in the head where you can see that the people listening to the content um, maybe uh, are not really the, the only ones that should be listening to it. I think yeah. where it helps women when you do um, have women on your show and, and, and you doing it, it shows us that, look, other people care. But also it helps us articulate how we feel because sometimes how we feel could be like a bundle of 
emotion and yeah. negative feelings, but we can't really articulate why does this feel so wrong? But we have a reaction to it, right? Um, I think that's why Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins with their speech resonated with a lot of women because it's made us examine our own self. But what I've, I'm curious about, because I'm aware of how I felt and I've talked to some other women about how they felt yeah. after doing that. You watched it um, and you ended up with feelings of your own that were quite um, intense. What did you feel from your perspective after listening to both of them? Uh, well, I think you can't help but feel frustrated. We're not allowed to swear on here, are we? So I'll say frustrated. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Use that word. Yeah. I mean, you can't help but be frustrated because yeah. uh, what they both said is makes so much sense. It is so, in some ways, I'm not saying it's an easy problem to be solved, um, but it, the intention, having the, the right intention and actually having a, having a go, I think that's what is being lacking. Yes. Yeah, you know, a real roll your sleeves up or, you know, even just a starting point, I would just love to see even culturally where we just say, Violence against women and children is it just such a no-go zone in this country that it sounds again, and I probably would have people say it's not the the right way to approach it, but like it, it's harshly treated. You know, it mm. seems to be um, sometimes not harshly treated, <laughs> and yes. yet, what what could be more important? And I think in that, even in that in speech, the, the point of how much money is spent on defence. Mm. versus how much money has been put into this absolutely um, massive issue that affects one in four people. So, uh, you know, I sort of think that um, you know, I've had a lot of chats with Bianca about this as well. It, it, she's okay. got her platform and I think with her platform, she knows that what she's putting out each quarter with the Women's Index and yes. it's really measuring equality um, having it as a a female-led club that only has females involved has a, has can only reach so far. So yes. she's challenging herself even now to say, how do we take this to the next level, mm. and how do we understand how what what role the male population need to play in this in this cause and actually helping us all move it together if you, know, yeah. if you know what I mean and that's the challenge and, and also it shouldn't take us to getting to adulthood to suddenly realize that this is happening right you know like I my son this morning was asking me about or I, I heard about you know he was asking me about the one child policy that they had in China yeah. and I said yeah and and I said what what happened the unintended consequence was that if they had a child that was a daughter you know they the child could be given up or, or maybe even killed because they really wanted sons he was like really I'm like yeah and I said the same thing happens in India as well like there is a higher value um, placed on a male offspring and then he was like shocked um, but I said you, you have to understand women are treated very badly in this world um and that, that's my conversation yeah. in the morning with my 11-year-old. But, yeah, it's, it's, I think I'm saying it now and I just feel it's a bit heartbreaking. But yeah, it is. You, it is. You come out and you can have, uh, you know, 
a, a baby boy and a baby girl coming out to this world just without any expectation and things like that. But the the pathway could be different. Um, but even like Grace Tame was saying that, you know, even young boys, I think the stat is one in six. Um, and, and it's yeah. usually that system of power that enables people to continue doing it, yeah. you know. So I think to, to that point that you said, you know, why uh, you said, is it the wrong thing to say that we need to be harsher? I, I, I sometimes I wonder what we're even doing, you know. So yeah, yeah. Brittany Higgins' story um, really resonated with me last year. I remember really thinking about it when it was coming out, and um, I had my own. Well, we, I think women have had many experiences through their life, right? But actually, in Australia, I had an experience where um, I was in a job. And then I had finished that job because I was casual and I thought they were doing like a goodbye party for me. I yeah. was very ignorant. So I went there and there was only the manager of that, that restaurant that was there. So I was like, oh, where's everyone else? And he was like, oh, no, it's, it's just us. And I thought, you know, family man um, can trust him. But I'm yeah. away from my family, studying and stuff like that. Um, and I don't know if my my drink was, was, was drugged. I don't know any of those things that happened. And I passed out. And I remember him on me and then I passed out again and I got up in the morning. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I, I was there. And, but I had to like smile my way through to get out of the place that I was in, get into a cab, get home. And then I didn't report him at all. I can understand yeah. that was the furthest thing from my mind because I thought, oh, my parents are going to blame me because I went to a place on my own. And then, you know, I, I had alcohol and... Um, and and then that's I, the I, thing, you might not have even told anyone for a long time. They just... Oh, my parents don't know. Yeah, yeah, my parents don't know. My my husband knows, um, but I don't I don't identify with it as um, like I think one way of coping is that you just shut it out entirely. But now that I'm hearing a lot of these women's stories, you kind of go, I understand why it's so hard for someone because you think you've got so much more to lose if you bring it to the police, right? Yeah. If you go, um, I'm sure someone like that has not. It's the first time that they've done it. Um, but then how do you? you're not in a system that actually allows you to safely feel safe about doing it. And even yeah. in society, you feel society is going to judge you and, and probably they do. Um, like Grace was saying, some of the comments that she had against her, I think I feel that. So yeah, that's it's, hard, it's hard to believe, isn't it really? It's hard to believe. Or you I don't mean, know where that's coming from. You don't, you don't know, but I think, I think as us in this point, like we're talking about this now, we've got children. I think it's forcing us to confront how we want yeah. them, what kind of world we want them to be in. Um, so I think that's why, like, I'm so appreciative of your journey because that's good news for my kids. <laughs> yeah, well, I think this is the thing is it, it's frustrating when you watch something like that because we individually can't, you feel like you want to help solve mm -hmm. the problem. And I think where you get to with it, it's a bit like, um, you know, not that it's, well, it's a, I guess an equally dangerous issue is, you know, things like the environment and, and mm. that sort of thing is all you can do is try and make an impact in your sphere um, somehow, you know, and uh, with the people around you or um, however you think you can best make an impact on the issue. That's all you can do. Mm. You can't really, unless um, you've got far reach, um, impact a lot of people. And yeah. so it's, it's, it's something that 
why I think it's so important with the speech that they made is it's got to be at a micro level where we're all moving in that direction and we're all yeah. trying to make some sort of difference in, in whatever we're doing. Mm. And like you said, that, and that's kind of mirroring what Lacey Filipic is saying because both of you are doing my International Women's Day episodes. She's saying that sometimes on a broader scale, you know, she was part of the March for Justice last year and she felt that things were not implemented. She said it was a bit disappointing. Yeah. And so sometimes you can feel that sense of hopelessness that on a much broader level, things are not changing, but it's down to, like you said, the micro. I think at the end of the day, if we think, oh, the large changes are not happening as quickly as we can, we still have the power as individuals to implement a change, whether you're talking to your kids, you know, whether like you, you've got content going out, you know, for me, I'll never stop um, talking yeah. about these issues. Um, so I think maybe if there's one thing maybe we can take away is that as hopeless as it can seem, there's still always something we can do in a very small way. Yeah. Well, and look, we've probably touched on, you're touching on that, the assault side mm. of things and the, yeah. the violence side of things, but even just on the inequality across many levels, I think even in those areas, and I think we touched on it on last year's um, Dawn mm. and you made a comment um, around if you're not, <laughs> if, if you're not part of, the group that's um, being affected, sometimes you're not really <laughs> aware, aware that there is yeah. a problem. Yes. Um, and so particularly with those people I've chatted to this year, uh, I've become more educated on some of the, the challenges and, and particularly um, financial challenges mm. or could be well, it really things that limit women financially and we know I think um, I don't know the exact stats but we know it's a, a growing trend yeah that middle-aged women are in vulnerable uh, yeah they're in vulnerable positions they don't have enough money to retire yes they may not have enough work or they might be homeless yeah I think that's maybe the stat that they're at high rate of homelessness amongst middle-aged right. women and I I if you sort of work backwards from that and with what we do in financial advice, um, I, I sort of wonder whether there's some things that we can be doing mm. as financial advisors because they, a lot of these people were in, maybe they were in safe positions at some stage in their life and somehow yes. that became vulnerable. So how did that happen? Yes. And you've got a view on this. Like I know that you, when we corresponded before, you've kind of outlined about you know, five or six points around where you've examined your process and gone, I mean, through your journey in the last 12 months particularly. Yeah. And you're going, okay, so what, what is, because we do have financial advisors that listen in as well. And, mm. and some who are, people who are not, maybe makes them more aware of what they can bring to their financial advisors when they go to that meeting. Yeah. Uh, what, what are the points that you, you've picked up of a, 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 suppose a better way to do it so that you are trying to narrow that gap of inequality? We can probably chat about these together if you want mm, because yeah. um, I'm sure you've got an opinion too. Well, super is a big one because mm. we know and a bit in uh, the Women's Index, Financy Women's Index, they talk about the equality, um, inequalities with super and that sort of thing. And we know that super, one of the biggest things that happens with super is women leave the workforce for a period of time to have a family and 
during that time they don't have super contributions going in in a lot of mm. cases. Um, so what role can we play in that? Uh, you know, yeah. I, I think I mentioned to you when we start looking at this and I think we'll try and talk about it not so much in a financial planning way and maybe from a consumer's point of view, uh, but if you're sitting there as a couple and you, you're generally going to say, well, how can we save the most tax this year? Because mm. we want to just get yes. that thousand extra thousand dollars that we could spend on a holiday yes. or something. So that's generally going to result in possibly some more contributions going into My the larger yes. income earners um, super. Mm. Um, I've sat in meetings, and you would have too, where one party's getting no super paid in yes. and they haven't for many years because they don't work. Yeah. Oh, well, so I shouldn't say they don't work, but they don't work in paid work. But yeah, paid employment. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the things that I've really, you know, when we do this in a lot of areas of, of financial planning, we, we it's not just about the finances, is it? Sometimes it's about what's the life element that's got to offset that. Yes. You know, quite often we have this with aged care planning when someone, the best financial outcome would be to go in, put their mum into home number one, but mum really yeah. likes home number two. Yeah. And we want her to be happy. So we trade off the best financial outcome for some life element. Mm. I think there's got to be a trade-off with that super contribution. And so, well, yeah, you might not get the biggest tax deduction, but we need money flowing into the super for both parties mm -hmm. um, so that no one's left vulnerable later on, possibly. So, you know, that's an interesting point that um, has been raised before by Natasha Jensen's from Women With Sense, right? So she said she believes in making sure that both super funds are being added and there are yeah. various ways that that can be done, of course. Um, and um, because she said in a divorce, it's not as simple as being able to just divide out the assets no yes and like tim do you have kind of a view on that like if you can kind of explain why um even though the assets should be split equally why yeah. is it harder when you've got one person with a larger balance and one with a lower balance well i'll give you an example the the because i think people generally say oh well uh, it'll all work out in the wash anyway mm. um the thing is that with superannuation, it's a pot of money that's not available to you for a long time in, in a lot of cases. So I'll give you an example of a client I've had. She only came to see us um, as a single person, so she'd been divorced for a few years. She has a massive super fund. Well, I'll say massive, pretty big, more than enough to support her, but she wasn't left with much to live now. So yeah. our whole financial planning strategies with her has been helping her get to oh. the age of 60. Yeah. So in the scheme of that whole wash-up with the splitting up of assets, it was disjointed. Uh, the, mm. the mix was all wrong and it's left her really in a really financially difficult place for a lot of years, even though it's absolutely the reverse of that once she hits a certain age. Because yeah. there's a, this massive problem. And so it's a classic case of, um, you know, in a lot of cases, um, you might be, the, the house might be getting traded off as an asset against super and stuff like that. Mm. So um, it's not just as simple as saying it gets cut down the middle. 
yeah. so it, it can be who ends up with which pot of, yeah. pot of money or, or asset. I find this topic of divorce, it's almost like people understand what they should have known when they're going through it. But the point up to that is is there's a lot of unawareness because you don't you don't go into it to get yeah. divorced. Um, and well, you I, don't I, get much practice. No, <laughs> and I think after Hopefully. you've been through no, been through yeah. one or two, then you you probably are more aware of it, right? And do you find that people are a bit hesitant to have that discussion about planning for what if? Yeah, well, let's look. I I'm planning to have these discussions more often yeah and we've started to introduce them um you know because we also as financial advisors we will will you do you recommend life insurance and that sort of thing yes 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 yes. so you do that because there's a what's the percentage chance for someone being killed yeah you've got to have life insurance Hmm. there's a percentage chance that you might get cancer you better have insurance for that yeah um I don't know what are those percentages. Yeah. Um, under one percent, the chance of divorce is fifty percent. Yes. So um, <laughs> you you would think as we should be building contingency plans in case. Now, yes. of course, that's not what we're planning for. Uh, we're full steam ahead as a couple and all that sort of thing. But just in case uh, something happens. Yeah. Um, Let's not leave that person in a vulnerable position. Either party could yes. be could be the other way around, female or yes. male. Um, so yeah, I just think that um, that's really it, it's got to be part of what we really do. It's mm. given it such a big chance to occur. One of my goals or my promises to myself is like, okay, yeah, we, we need to be a bit more upfront with these conversations, these difficult yeah. conversations, um, because um, people trust us to to help help i suppose protect them against what could be happening in the future yeah. but those questions i think culture those those topics culturally are not built in so they might be hearing first time from us yeah, <laughs> so we could right. be the yeah. messenger like don't shoot the messenger i'm just we've just got the yeah that's anyway, right you're really right about the the you know chances of claiming of, on cancer and like, i think cancer is isn't it like um or a traumatic event it's like one in four for women is it one in five yeah. for men before 65 and then you've got 50 percent divorce rate so those all those steps are are important so i'm going to take that learning on but you've also got a view about under insurance for women um or the way risk yeah. is actually used to assess women's needs well it's an interesting one because i think um the way that we do just for, for people out there that haven't been through this process the way that we mm-hmm. do work out how much in life insurance is needed is we look at uh, both parties, mm. um, what's needed as a family uh, to, uh, to sustain your lifestyle, and then we look at gaps in, in that. So what happens if uh, this person can't work? What happens if this person is disabled? Yes. How much income do they bring to the family? And so how much do we need to cover that gap? And, and what generally will happen is a the largest income earner will get the lion's share of that insurance put on their head mm, mm. Um, and quite often not a lot goes on the other say the home the person that's at home looking after the kids yes uh, they're, they're, a bit of insurance goes on on them so in the situation 
Now, with the, with life insurance, you've got to be underwritten medically. That means you've got to answer medical questions. The insurers won't touch you until they are, they know what risk you are to them. Yeah. So it's not guaranteed that you'll always get insurance. And more and more with you know, mental health, even just an episode of mental health. Yes. Um, and we've all had those. We've all had anxiety at some stage or some form of stress that is considered in an insurance mm. sense a mental health event it could stop you from getting insurance. So if, if you've heavily loaded again one person up, they've got all the insurance in the world, you've left another person vulnerable mm. with not much insurance, it's all cool so long as they stay with that person. Yeah. Um, but if they don't and then they can't get the insurance they need later on because of their health, yes, physical or mental, yeah. uh, again, it leaves them vulnerable. So I think it's just, again, another consideration on how we we look at this, I think. Making sure that you're having the conversation not to leave someone vulnerable, not le- leaving yourself vulnerable if you're that person who's being told, look, we, we're, we're loading all the insurance onto Dawn over here mm. and um, party number two is being sort of left with nothing. Yeah, I get that. And there can be um, one party could be, quite difficult to convince about the need for insurance sometimes and and as we know sometimes that's more domineering uh, if they can yeah. couple there could be one that's more vocal than the other and, and steers tries to steer the conversation <laughs> one way possibly um, yeah and possibly. i think as well it is a cost as well yes, so cost yes um that's also the thing to trade off is possibly needing something in the future and i have to pay for it now yes. i mean yeah that that isn't just a straightforward answer is it but it's yes. just i think something that we've got to overlay onto what we already do and then mm. and I, and I think in both of these cases the perfect rational outcome is the way we do it now mm. so you wouldn't take those into consideration because we're just looking for the perfect rational outcome but once we're yeah. actually not just looking for the perfect rational outcome we've just got yeah. to overlay some other considerations yeah, and I, I like that, Tim, because I think we go back to the, the code of ethics and they're talking about really looking at each client individually. Sometimes we can, or maybe often, we can be looking at the clients as they are right now and go, they're a unit, so this is what we're doing. Rationally, these are how the numbers are going to go. But part of it has to be that can we put an additional buffer or safety strategy in for the things that could go wrong in the future? It's such an intricate piece of work, isn't it? That we're trying to, to, to juggle all these different considerations and cost because cash yeah, flow right. is hard. With, if you've got young kids, mortgage, and then insurance and balancing it off. Um, but I think, yeah, that's given me food for thought. We need to be looking at them individually. I think they talk about Code of Ethics talks about the broader impact yeah. of them. Yeah, so um, that's really how we should be doing it. And that that helps women all men, if they're in that position, um, if they repartner. And the broader impacts um, relates to the probability of something happening in their life. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Once again, 50%. 50%. I I like that. And you've also got this really um, interesting view about how um, you can actually get female clients um, interested in investing. Um, You say that quite often female clients... Uh, don't prioritize themselves in terms of setting up investments for themselves, but they will for their children. Uh, but you've seen that 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 kind of piques their interest in understanding how investments could work and being part of that journey. 
Yeah, well, as well as, yeah, I think twofold there because, again, as I say, what we've tried to build with our, the way we're delivering or communicating our financial advice to our clients is um, we're doing the financial work behind the scenes, but we're really Mm. positioning it with them in these life buckets, if you like. Yeah. And so it seems to be really working because people can sort of say, okay, well, I've got momentum going with my kids' education. I've got some momentum going with my kids' savings. And one day in 15, 20 years, they'll have a nice pot of money they can um, maybe buy a house with or or a car or something like that. And we've got a pot of money over here that's our retirement and we're paying off our mortgage. That's one another pot. So I think what we've worked out there is – We've had lots of women that really like that approach because it's mm. a life approach first, a life first, financial second. Yes. And again, it goes back to those niggling problems because I feel that you know, a lot of women, uh, mums particularly, are used to probably putting the family first, putting mm. their own needs second. And that tends to occur, I think, financially too sometimes. Mm. So. Mm. Um, if we can say, look, we've got these vehicles in place for the kids' education, we've got these kids, your savings that you've been given the money along the way or you've saved for yourself and you're going to set them up for the future, now we can turn our attention back to you. Mm. And what about you getting yourself sorted? And I think once they feel that the family buckets are sorted, um, then they're ready to jump into their own and... And definitely we've seen on many occasions where they're really interested to learn how these investments work for their kids. They may not have initially had such enthusiasm for themselves. But now that once they see how it works, then they say, yeah, well, let's let's do one for me too. Yeah. And you know what? It doesn't matter how you get there. (laughs) But if you get there, that's part of the the journey that that you really want to take clients on is, is... when they they do something that they didn't think that maybe they're naturally suited for yeah. or had interest in, and then they realize that they can do it, I think that's really um, rewarding. And it's um, I think these considerations just helps with that bit of can we be fair to both people who are sitting in front of us if they yeah. come as a couple, where we're guarding both their outcomes uh, moving forward because we know that a lot of times that discussion around vulnerability of single women at retirement has happened because they haven't repartnered, been able to financially recover after divorce. They've had yeah. time off work. They haven't been able to replace the household income. Um, so those sort of things impact. Yeah, it's, that's right. Yeah. And being able to kind of see someone at this, before all those things happen um, and guide them along the way, I think that's a really powerful thing to change that outcome. Yeah, and I think helping... Yeah, we're probably as um, things like investments are becoming more accessible for all of mm. us, aren't they? Like in terms of the knowledge and being able to get involved. So I, I just think a lot of dynamics are feeding into particularly younger people um, getting involved in this sort of stuff a lot earlier than probably what our generation, of course, say our generation, Dawn, you're <laughs> younger than me. But, um, you know, we, we probably didn't really get too involved in that, mm. that sort of stuff at a young age, but the young people now are, which is great, guys and girls. That is an encouraging trend. 
um, and we'll yeah. keep that curiosity open and, and guide them forward. Um, in terms of International Women's Day, we're going to place this as our marker, Tim. So if every year we're <laughs> going to go, this is where we start and assess where we're going to be for the next 12 months. I think on um, the Financing Index, they have looked at um, the wage gap has dropped, but it's still 14.2%. The financial services apparently is the, the, the worst offender, yeah. 20%. That's what it says. Um, and now we've narrowed down um, the years that it's going to take to um, to reach equality is 59 years, down from 76 years. <laughs> I know that all sounds like it's a little bit of good news in there, but but what do you <laughs> what do you really hope for the future? You know, if, if we can be reflective this International Women's Day, what, what, what do you personally hope can be achieved? I think a, a line that I got from Samantha Sutherland when I interviewed her, I think she was quoting someone else, I can't remember now, um, but she said something like, um, discussions about equality start in the lounge room. And I think, you know, if you look at that Financy Women's Index, um, the the biggest inequity is in unpaid work. Mm. Unpaid work is everything <laughs> that happens, mostly happens in a household. Yes. And I, I really just see that if you did nothing else but said in your own home, how can we change that dynamic? Because it has to be that the inequity in the unpaid work, because unpaid works means that you're, you're not getting paid, you're putting a lot of hours into doing something which is taking you away or taking away opportunities to get paid work. Mm. And paid work is what's got, got to going to provide financial security to women. So I just think if you go back to the real basics in the laundry, it's going, it starts at home. Yeah. And if you can make decisions that start to create opportunities for paid work or paid um situations um, because you're freeing the person who's doing the lion's share off of the paid work well yeah that's a great place to start i reckon yeah no that makes sense so i'm um, that's a quotable line that you have <laughs> whether it's for samantha or where it's, it's pulled through from somewhere else yeah um well again talking about that what's that impact if we're talking about ourselves and what we can do is what's happening at home i think a lot of yeah. these conversations need to happen at home on respect, on how we treat each other, on on value. Um, so maybe this conversation really is about a reflection of ourselves and maybe that's where the pressure is going to put for that bigger well, move. That's right. I think if we start with that micro mm. view that all we can, you know, I really feel like it's got to start there, um, probably in situations with young families, I, I guess, you know, like they're going to have that quandary of, okay, well, if I go to work, if, if the stay-at-home mum goes to work or stay-at-home dad goes to work, we've got to put the children in childcare. It's going to cost yeah. me as much to do that that I get from work. So what's the point? Mm. Well, the point is what happens if we can somehow free this up so that you can do an extra day of work or after a couple of years you start to get ahead on that. And I think it's about encouraging people to stay in the game and stay educated. Education's a big thing as well in all of this. Um, staying relevant in the workforce is a big part of all of this. So just got to have those conversations to 
create opportunities in, for each other in the household. Thank you so much, Tim. You've, you know, so many pearls of wisdom, as, uh, <laughs> as usual, unsurprisingly. Um, and I think... Um, Good at talking about it. No, it's, it's, <laughs> you add a bit more hope to, to the situation rather than hopelessness, you know. So you've got the things that make you feel a bit hopeless. And then you've, you see things that give you hope. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really thankful that you've been able to just, you know, share that journey with us. Um, and, and thank you so much for your time, Tim. Subscribe now to be notified of new episodes. Let's change how the story ends. The information discussed during this episode includes strategies that are general in nature. As everyone's situation is different and the information discussed does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs, you should always seek personal advice with regard to your own personal circumstances.